I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Rad Child Podcast. So we've talked in the past before a little bit specifically sort of about sex and having conversations uh, around sex with kids, but we haven't really dived into puberty, which often kind of people conflate uh, those two conversations, but I feel like they can be very different conversations. And, you know, I say conversations plural because we always talk about how it's not just like a one and done conversation, no matter what the topic is. Uh, So yeah, so today we're going to talk a little bit about how to talk to kids about puberty. (laughs) So. So I'm going to invite my first uh, guest to introduce themselves. So we're just going to do name, pronouns, where you're from, your relationship with kids, and your relationship to the theme of puberty. My name's Rebecca Kuhn. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm based in Portland, Oregon. I'm a mom to an eight-year-old, uh, and I've also been a sexuality educator since um, since 2006 professionally, but really I started before that as a peer educator in high school. And so I've worked with kids and adults, people of all ages, um, doing that work. But the last five years, I've specifically been focused on elementary and middle school kids and their families. Um, so I've worked with lots and lots of kids. Um, and lots of kids specifically around puberty. That's awesome. I'm Yeah, it's uh, so fun. Yeah, I'm really excited to get into it because I feel like, and we'll get into this later, but I feel like when people think about puberty, they are kind of like, why are you talking to kids about puberty? They're not dealing with it. Um, and I think we think about this a lot with kids, like this happens a lot with kids where we're like, oh, we'll, we'll tell them when, when it gets there. And I'm like, well, you need to know before it happens. <laughs> Yes. What's going to happen? Yes, exactly. <laughs> What's coming to mind is like specifically like I've heard horror stories around like menstruation and like friends who's like parents just never talked to them about menstruation. And then, oh my gosh. you know, they had their first menses and they were like, oh, my God, I'm dying. You know, I know. <laughs> like, can you imagine how scary that would be if you had no idea? That I that was a normal knew what thing? was happening and I still thought I was dying. So, right? like, you know oh what I gosh. mean? It was like so, you know, I, I just think it's so important to. Uh, you know, prepare kids for this, especially with this, like is something that they're, you know, probably going to experience, as opposed to other topics that maybe like they might not, you know, experience every single thing in the world. But like, this is something that's probably, you know, important to let them know is coming up. Yep, <laughs> totally. Uh, but before we uh, get into it, I uh, asked this question uh, at the top of every episode, just because we talk a lot about kind of questions that kids ask us that maybe catch us off guard, or we're not prepared for. So I'm curious if there's ever been a time where a kid asked you a question that maybe you weren't prepared to answer or kind of caught you off guard. Oh and my gosh. Be related to the theme, not related funny, serious, whatever. I love this question so much. I feel like um, kids ask me all the time questions that I'm not prepared to answer. This is often the answer. (laughs) I mean, even after years of working with kids, they just have these like amazing minds and they always Mm -hmm. are thinking about things differently than I do. So I'm often sort of like, oh, gosh, I've never (laughs) thought about that before. I don't know. As a sex educator in particular, I get asked a lot of questions that are like, hmm, okay, I guess we're going there. (laughs) So I think like early in my career when I was working a lot with high schoolers, they Mm -hmm. would often ask me questions about slang terms that I'd never heard Mm -hmm. of or like cultural references (laughs) that I had never heard of. And I was just like, I am not this cool. Like I was not even this cool (laughs) when I was in high school. (laughs) When kids like use words and you're like, I don't even know what that is. (laughs) Totally. I feel like now it's more like when I work with little kids, they think Mm -hmm. that because I know some things about bodies, I know like everything about how bodies work. So I'll be there to talk to them about like 
baby how babies are made or something mm-hmm. and they'll be like how do our brains control our muscles or like how does food <laughs> get turned into poop and i'm like these are excellent questions i am not prepared to answer them right now like you said their brains work in just these like amazing ways where they just take these like leaps it almost like makes me think about how my brain works as a person with ADHD where like I'll be talking about one thing and then all of a sudden I'll be talking about another thing and like people are like how did you get there and I'm like well let me explain you know (laughs) one time like you know we were talking about the circus and then all of a sudden I was talking about bees because one time I was at the circus and like someone got stung by a bee and like that made me think about bees and then I was thinking about you know the murder hornets and then I was thinking like it might I feel like kids brains work a lot like that where it's just like they go from one thing to the next thing and then all of a sudden you're like where did how did you get there I love it it's so fascinating it's it's fun Oh my gosh. But anyway, uh, let's jump into it. So I'm curious, like if you're comfortable talking a little bit about your personal experience, like what was like your experience as a human going through puberty? Like, did you feel like, you know, prepared for kind of the emotional and physical stuff that was going on? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I feel like the answer is sort of both yes and no. So Mm -hmm. I... You know, my family used to joke <laughs> that I've been 30 years old since I was 13. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was definitely like a kid who was really eager for puberty to start, really curious about all the changes that were going to happen and like really excited to feel sort of more grown up. Mm-hmm. Um, and like whenever something happened that was puberty related, I really wanted to show that off too. So like I remember <laughs> that when I fir- the first time I shaved my legs, which now I think about this as a weird, it's like a weird milestone. But at the time it felt like a big deal. Yeah. Um, and I was like at the dinner table being like, look, I have removed my body hair. Everyone please <laughs> admire. You know, I was really excited about puberty and curious about puberty. I think I felt reasonably prepared for the physical changes. I was pretty lucky. My stepmom was a nurse. Um, mm-hmm. And so she was really like good about making sure that I had like a book and knew what was going <laughs> to happen before it happened and all that stuff. Um, but I was really unprepared for the emotional and social changes. And I mm-hmm. think my parents were too, honestly. Like, I think. I was a pretty angsty adolescent (laughs) and I just think they didn't know what to do with me. You know, they like didn't understand how to support me. Um, And so that part was hard. Yeah. I I feel the angst. I wore black for like two years. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had that phase. It's so interesting because I feel like we do often like societally focus on the physical changes a lot Mm -hmm. more than we focus on kind of like the, uh, you know, emotional and social um, stuff that's going on of which there is a lot. There's so much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think it's harder to talk about too. And I think adults often don't feel equipped um, or they don't even think about it. Yeah, totally. And I think it's, it's a lot less kind of standard and textbook than like, you're going to grow hair. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know how it's going to necessarily affect you, right? Like it's, I feel like it's less, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Like straightforward. Yeah, thank you. Factual or something. Yeah, exactly. Where it's just like, I can just show you a book and it's going to be like, you're going to grow hair. Yeah. Right. Right. You might smell. Great. Like, you know, all these different things. But yeah, I feel like it's less straightforward, like you said. Or it's just like, like, you can't just be like, you're going to feel like this. Like, I don't know how you're going to (laughs) feel. Yeah, it gets into that the murky waters of like helping Mm -hmm. our kids navigate relationships in ways Mm -hmm. that feel, you know, values aligned and, um, 
and like we're preparing them for their adult relationships. And mm-hmm. that stuff is hard even for yeah. adults. Half of us don't even know how to be in relationships. I know, right? <laughs> like communication, decision making, oh all that yeah. stuff. It's hard for adults too. So I think, I don't know, it, it makes sense, right? That we're not, we don't feel as prepared to support our kids around it. Partly Definitely. because the cultural conversations around puberty often leave out those parts. And, yeah. and partly because we a lot of us didn't grow up with that. And so we're not ourselves very skilled um, necessarily. Absolutely. And like, it's hard to talk about something that maybe you're not, you don't even feel like you're competent at, right? (laughs) Like we were talking about with like those sort of relationship skills or things, right? Like feels weird to be like, you need to be doing this, this and that when you're like, I don't even know if I do those things. I know, right? Totally. (laughs) I know you talked a little bit about your stepmom being a nurse, but like did the grownups, you know, in your life kind of talk to you about puberty and, you know, kind of what to expect? And like, if so, you know, how did those conversations go? Yeah, I think, you know, my parents were definitely of the of the like one and done the talk school. (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, Which was like normal at the time. That's Mm -hmm. what that's, you know, what everybody was doing. Um, So that's kind of what I got. My dad didn't talk to me at all. He would have been absolutely horrified. (laughs) My stepmom, like I said, was she talked to me about the physical stuff, but it was very clinical. So Mm -hmm. she like, I remember um, when I was maybe 10 or something, she came in my room and like, basically did an exam, which felt like really weird. But she, you know, she got me a book, she got me pads and showed me how to use them. She Mm -hmm. like took me shopping for a training bra. Um, when I started my period, she took me out for tea. Um, oh so that, you know, it's like, that was I nice. I got tea when I started my period. I know. It, it sounds was, lovely. Yeah. She tried really hard. It was, it was yeah. nice. My mom did not really talk to me. And in fact, hopefully she'll never listen to this because I know she feels bad <laughs> about this story. Um, so sorry, mom. But the first day I got my period, I was staying with her and I came home um, from day camp or whatever. And I was sitting on the couch and I was like very shy about telling her what had mm-hmm. happened. And I finally worked up the courage and I told her I started my period that day for the first time. And she was like, well, get off the couch. You're going to stain it. <laughs> <laughs> oh Which God. she feels horrible about now to her credit. But I was like, okay, well, I guess <laughs> that's how that's going to go. <laughs> I feel like oftentimes we just end like like that for her was a moment of a kid saying something that she wasn't prepared for right totally. and i think a lot of times when that happens like we just say whatever come like whatever comes out of our mouths just comes yeah. out and like i think it's really important to like remember that like it's i mean first of all it's okay to say a thing and then be like i'm really sorry that that's yes. how i react because <laughs> totally. sometimes we just react and we're like Wah. um but I, it's also okay to like be like take a minute <laughs> And formulate it, you know, formulate a response. I feel like I I don't tell that story to like, I think you're so right to bring that up that um, when we make mistakes in our parenting or like say, not even mistakes, but like say something we wish we hadn't said, there's such a great opportunity there to model for our kids Mm -hmm. how we go back and repair in relationships. And the goal is not knowing exactly the right things to say or always um, responding in the, you know, way that we would ideally love to. It's like knowing how to respond when we do do or yeah, say things absolutely. that we wish we hadn't. You, yeah. You were talking about just like those, those kinds of moments of like, just say, you know, blurting out something or like saying the wrong thing or being uncomfortable talking about things just to make me think about this is obviously not something I was alive for, but my grandmother, uh, when my parents were, you know, like, 
I, or I guess my mom at the time was like, I don't know, maybe a young, like preteen. And my uncle, her brother, was maybe around 10 or so. And he found one of her pads in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And he said, what is this for? And my grandmother said, uh, your father uses those to shine his shoes. <laughs> and I was like, thank God he figured out before that, that that was not true before he had a girlfriend or something. and was like, hey, you're shoe shiners. Like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. She also, my grandmother, it's so funny. She's like a lot better about it now. I mean, not that like we're having lots of conversations about sex, but like she's like less uptight about it now but like yeah and i think that's like a very generational thing but she Mm -hmm. also she's this is the same woman who gave my mother the talk and then skipped all the pages of the book that had to do with sex so it was just like two people lie down together and then there's a baby and my mom was like you just lie down next to someone and then you get like she was so confused she was like more confused than she was before oh Oh, my gosh gosh. but yeah but also that's like terrifying right like, I I'm going to go to a sleepover and end up yeah, with a baby. Totally. <laughs> um, oh, no. Yeah, but I think it's really important, like, to have some kind of, like, even if we're uncomfortable having, first of all, like, whenever someone's uncomfortable with something, I'm like, that's a moment for you to examine, like, why you're uncomfortable about something and, like, do some work on your part. Um, but even if you're just like, absolutely, no, I cannot give this this talk to my children, right? Like, at least figure out a way that they're going to get this whether it's like a co-parent that you're like you know what maybe you're the better one to be able to Mm -hmm. give this information like but just make sure they're getting the information you know what i mean um but i always feel like whenever we're uncomfortable with something i'm like why are you uncomfortable about (laughs) i'm so bad like even with the with the people um i'm a nanny um and with the family that i'm nannying we had a conversation about the their their uh, nanny two and a half year old twins and they both wanted to wear a dress. They're boy-girl twins. And I let them both wear a dress. And the parents and I had a conversation where they were uncomfortable with the boy wearing a dress. And I was like, hmm. I was like, I would examine that. Like, why are you? And I'm like, now I'm just being a therapist. But I'm yeah, like, right? hmm, why are you uncomfortable about that? Right? And, I, you know, I think that, like, discomfort is okay. Like, it's yeah. okay to be uncomfortable with something. But it's important to understand why we're uncomfortable. And, like, it was funny because it, it did kind of turn into a therapy session. And it was, like, the mother felt like she was forced to wear dresses. Like, she really didn't, doesn't like the girl wearing dresses either. She felt like she was forced to wear dresses as a kid and didn't like it. Right? Oh, and so it was, like, like it all, I feel like our discomfort, like, it comes from somewhere. Right? And so I think it's important to kind of, like, be sitting with it for a minute and, like, figure out what's what's going on. But ultimately, make sure your kids are getting the information that they need to get. Yeah, I, I so agree with that. And I think especially in this, like, sex-negative culture that we all mm-hmm. <laughs> exist in, um, a lot of us just didn't grow up with good models around how to have mm-hmm. these talks. And so it's really common and, like, understandable that people feel uncomfortable or they don't, you know, know how to talk about it. Um, and mm-hmm. there's some, like, really deep unlearning that has to happen. Oh, I think. for sure. Um, yeah. So I think you're right that examining sort of where that discomfort comes from can be a really important first step. I also think, you know, one thing that I always try and remind the families that I work with is that sexuality is an inherent part of your child's mm-hmm. body and life experience. And so they're going to get information about it one way or the other. Like you couldn't yep. shield them from it if you tried. Um, and especially with puberty, like their body is going to change. Um, and so it's not a matter of whether they get the information. It's a matter of where, where they yeah. get it. Yeah. From whom and like how. And I think most caregivers want their kids to get it from them, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that way you're, you can 
you know, uh, control the information that they're getting and make sure they're getting the correct information and the information that, you know, reflects your values as a family, right? Because people mm-hmm. have so many different values around, around sex and around puberty and around all, all these different kinds of things, right? Bodies. Yeah. And so I think it's important, right? Because like you said, they're going to get it. <laughs> they're going to get yeah. the information from somewhere. And, you know, you don't want them thinking that pads are shoe shiners. Yeah, right. Uh, totally. <laughs> like I said before, I think the conversation around sex and puberty is often kind of conflated into one weird which to me it's like they're two totally different things yeah you're right you know and and also like sex and like how babies are made are two totally different things but like they all just get balled up into this one weird conversation i don't know anyway uh you know i'm curious if you received uh a quote-unquote like sex education uh at school and sort of like how was that experience did they give you information about puberty like what was i don't know for me it was just a bunch of images of stis they were just like don't ever have sex or you're gonna get an sti yeah i feel like that's and, and once we had um someone from planned parenthood brought in like they had basically like fake breasts and we had to like feel oh. for lumps and i had to share one with my ex-boyfriend and it was very uncomfortable. oh my gosh we so... had just broken up and we had to share a boob yeah it was weird awkward but like that's that was my like i feel like that was my sex education at school so i mean i'm always interested to hear what other people i mean got out of that's that. not great but it's also more than some people get it's true um oh yeah i feel like well so i i think i did get sex ed in school although it's hard to remember so obviously mm. it didn't make a big impression on me <laughs> i'm i'm pretty sure that i had like a puberty class in 5th or 6th grade mm. and then i'm pretty sure that i had a little bit more like sort of puberty hygiene focused mm. lessons in my home ec class in middle oh. school um, so I remember specifically them talking about like acne and body odor, mm-hmm. but not necessarily like periods or, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, I barely remember it. So I don't think it was great. Yeah, clearly it didn't make that big of an impact. No. Right? Yeah. It's funny because everybody in the public school system did get something in the fifth grade, some mysterious information that I, I don't know what information that was because I went to private school and they just didn't talk about it. Oh boy. <laughs> Um, yeah, until like I grew up uh, in like a like a Christian school. It was like it was almost a one room schoolhouse. Like there were uh, six kids in my fifth grade class. Like it was oh my god, the whole sixth grade, like fifth wow. grade. Like they really they had to have a meeting about whether or not to even have a fifth grade. They're like, is this gonna have students? <laughs> so it was like it was very special. But yeah, I didn't receive anything at all. And I was like, oh man, everybody got this like secret, <laughs> you know, this big secret. Uh, conversation that i didn't get to have but i don't i don't imagine it was it was anything uh it was that based on what i received in high school i can't imagine that it was very thorough maybe it's a blessing because i mean i don't know how old you are but like i grew up in the sort of heyday of abstinence only sex ed Mm -hmm. um and uh, luckily i did not have to participate in that but i feel like i really got lucky i guess yeah Um, Yeah, yeah definitely i still remember after I don't know why. Well, because they were, they scared us. Like we, someone came to talk about STIs and they showed us a bunch of scary pictures. Uh, And then afterwards, like, I don't know why I was so, I mean, because they just scared me about getting STIs, but like, I was not sexually active at the time. Um, And I went, I like, kind of caught the woman outside as she was leaving because it was someone from that they had brought in to have this conversation with us and I was like, should I be like worried about getting STIs? And she was like, just don't have sex. 
Oh, great. <laughs> I was like, so oh, helpful. all right. I mean, at that time in my life, that was useful because I wasn't having sex. Right. Um, but I was just like, oh, okay. Gosh. So like, I, I wouldn't say that like the sex education that I received was like strictly abstinence-based, but like it was definitely heavily encouraged mm-hmm. <laughs> just mm-hmm. to not have sex, which is not useful information. Yeah, um, totally. You know, I, I don't know. Anyway, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> it is. It really is. I, <laughs> but, have, so, I have so many okay. thoughts. Uh, yes. Oh my gosh. But I'll save them. I mean, we talked, kind of touched on this before, but like, you know, what age, like when should we start talking to kids about like bodies and puberty and, you know, all of these kinds of things? It's such a good question. And I, and it's earlier than most people think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think we really start talking about bodies at birth, right? Yeah, right. Like when we're doing diaper changes. We all have them. <laughs> yeah. We like use correct names for genitals and, mm-hmm. you know, don't shy away from that. Um, in terms of talking about puberty, um, kids should know that puberty exists mm-hmm. by age four. Mm. Um, so that's like probably a lot younger than most people would think. And they don't need a lot of details at that age. They don't need to know like what the specific changes are. Well, and they're not like looking for a lot of details, right? It's just like, oh, your body's going to go through some some changes, right? Yeah. Or whatever. Like they don't need this whole, they're not looking for your thesis, therefore. Yeah, totally. (laughs) But they, they are old enough to notice that there are differences between kids' bodies Mm -hmm. and adults' bodies. So they're noticing that they're probably curious about about it. And so that's a good opportunity to hmm. just tell them very simply, you know, kids' bodies turn into adult bodies through a process called puberty. Oh, I love and that. everybody goes through it. You know, it's really funny you saying that just brought back this memory. It was like, I don't actually remember it, but I, I've been told that I did this. Um, my We only had one bathroom growing up and uh, I was in the bath and my mom was getting ready to go somewhere and she was getting changed and she took her shirt off. And I mm-hmm. pointed to her breasts and I said, mommy, what are those? And she said, these are my breasts. And I like took a beat and I said, can you take one off? I'd like to see it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was going to do buoyancy tests oh. with it in the bath. I'm not sure what my plan was. Um, but right, like kids are like I noticing these things, right? They're curious about these things. And like, you know, I, I think it is, like you said, that's a great opportunity because like even like I'm thinking about the twins that I nanny, like Nora always is just like, she's like all about her mom's boobs. <laughs> She's like always trying to pull her shirt down. She's like, what totally. are these? What's happening? Or even like thinking about, right, like, you know, kids who have younger siblings who are, are chest feeding, you know, things like that, where they're like, mm-hmm. they're noticing um, that bodies are, I don't know why I'm stuck on boobs right now. Like, that's the only difference. I mean, um, it's it, because but, it's such a visible difference. That's I true. Think, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Or even like, I'm thinking about, <laughs> I still have a video of this somewhere because I thought it was so funny. I had shorts on and the kid that I was nannying at the time was just like rubbing my leg hair. Like, mm. what is happening? Like, he was so into it. It was just so funny to him. And I was just like, I just thought it was hilarious. That, but like, right, like kids are noticing all of these, all of these different things. Yeah. Um, or even like uh, the Nora that I nanny now, she like, she's very into the fact that I, ha- I have a beard. Her papa has a beard. So like, sometimes she'll be like, she'll put things in front of her face and be like, I have a beard. <laughs> but I feel like, like you said, it, it's great. You know, it's great to, to open up those to take those as teachable moments and like just have you know like you said it's like a one sentence it's not like okay we need to sit down and talk about puberty now but just talk talk about those things it's scaffolding right like Mm -hmm. i like to think of the analogy of trying to teach algebra Mm -hmm. um if if you can't teach algebra without knowing 
without the kids knowing basic mathematical operations, yeah. right? Like subtraction, addition, multiplication, division. You can't teach them those if they don't know how to count. And you can't <laughs> teach them to count before they know their numbers, right? So like telling a four-year-old that puberty exists is like teaching them their numbers. Yeah. So by the time they get to puberty, when they're learning algebra, um, they understand that like puberty is a thing in the world and they have mm -hmm. the foundational some of the foundational knowledge that they need to to grasp the concept, right? Yeah, I, I love that analogy. Mm -hmm. It makes a lot of sense. And I think it's a good way to think about like all these kinds of things that, um, you know, I think we, we talk a lot about uh, kind of things that people consider uh, to be sort of like adult topics, um, whatever that means. And I, I think it's just like, it's not just like one day we just like, okay, I need to tell you that this thing exists now. Like, you know, there's age appropriate ways to talk about everything. Right. Uh, and like you said, it's not, it's not a matter of telling them everything there is to know about puberty when they're four. Um, but it's a matter of letting them know that the thing exists in an age appropriate way. And yep. I think that that's a really good advice for just about every topic. <laughs> I totally agree. I'm interested to talk a little bit about like, as you know, as an educator and, you know, also as a parent, uh, you know, how have you kind of handled broaching the topic of puberty, I guess, in those are two different kind of uh, circumstances, but. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's such a good question. And I actually approach it really differently mm. um, in terms of just, I mean, not in terms of my values or my sort of approach or philosophy, mm -hmm. but just in the like, way it actually plays out. Mm. Um, so as a parent, you know, my goal is always to have short conversations, um, really short, but but frequent. Um, mm -hmm. So so honestly, sometimes it's just a sentence or two um, that are always anchored to something that's like happening in my kid's life in that moment or that, that feels really re relevant to them or that's driven mm -hmm. by them in some way. So they're asking me a question or you know, like they see my menstrual products in the bathroom and they ask me about it or like, like we were just talking about, they observe a difference between their body and my body. Mm -hmm. um, and we talk about that. Um, so, you know, those conversations are often really short and I try to make them frequent. Um, mm -hmm. but, but sometimes they're longer and like I end up drawing a diagram of a vulva at the dinner table, <laughs> you know, it's just like, I just follow my kids lead and like pay yeah. attention to how engaged they are. And then when they're done with the topic, I let it go because I'm like, okay, we'll have more opportunities to talk about this. Absolutely. And I think, I think the as opposed to the like one long talk, I love the idea of a series of small, you know, a lot of smaller talks um, yeah. when it's appropriate or when it comes up, right? Like I'm yeah. you talking about um, your child, like playing or noticing the menstrual products in the bathroom just made me think about the, the twins went through a phase there every day. I don't let them in the bath. I stopped letting them in the bathroom because they would just do this every day and I didn't want to clean it up. They would just play with the tampons, oh, but gosh. they would just like throw them everywhere. They thought they were like the most fun thing in the world. The tampons and the panty liners. They would just That's like everywhere. Hilarious. And then I was just like, I can't deal with this cleaning this up. And they were at the age where they couldn't like clean up after themselves. But but, you know, it's just like, like kids are, you know, noticing things and that's like a great moment to be like, hey, that's what that's for. Right. And it yeah. doesn't have to be like a whole, a whole thing. You can just be like, oh, that's what that's for. Right. And, um, totally. and also it's so much less stress than trying to have one conversation where you touch every single thing. Right. Yeah, it feels so high stakes if you're mm -hmm. trying to do that. Like you have to cover everything and you have to say it just right. And it's like, oh my gosh, who wants the stress of that also like what kid wants to listen to your 30 minute conversation about people? i know like, right 
Seriously. Who has that attention span, right? I actually, my kid just told me this the other day because I'm um, planning to start my own podcast and I was oh, cool. like, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's going to be for parents um, and caregivers about how to talk to kids about sexuality. Oh my God. Um, I will be listening. I will be yay. telling people to go, to go listen. That sounds awesome. awesome. Yeah. I've, we're hopefully launching next month. So it'll oh be- Oh my gosh. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm really excited. Thank you. Um, but my kid, I my I was meeting with my co-host and my kid wandered into our planning meeting. Mm-hmm. And they, so we just asked them, we were like, what do you think parents should know about talking to their kids about sex and bodies and relationships? Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, well, I think they should keep the conversations really short and use um, small words that kids can understand. I love and that. That is excellent <laughs> advice. advice. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's so cute. Mm-hmm. Well, I love asking kids too. Like, like I think as adults, we're like, we're all like a bunch of adults talking about how do we talk. I'm like, why don't we just ask kids what they want? Yeah, right. <laughs> we can do that. Totally. I also, this is sort of a little off topic, but I also, I asked them what else they thought um, mm-hmm. parents should know. And they said, I forget how they worded it, but they basically were like, kids, my classmates don't know and kids should know that relationship, all relationships aren't between a man and a woman. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, what? I love you so much. <laughs> so it's great. Like going, jumping directly off of that, like, how do we talk to kids in, you know, about puberty in a way that's like inclusive of all bodies and all kinds of people? Mm, that's such a great question and it's really so important and it's a huge topic i don't like we could talk for hours about <laughs> we it. could have a whole episode just on this <laughs> totally i think um for puberty specifically one thing that i really um try to think about uh in terms of like being inclusive of all bodies is to talk about body parts separate from gender um mm. so it takes some practice um and it might feel sort of unnatural at first because there's like years of programming to mm-hmm. undo right um but it is actually totally possible to talk about bodies without gendering so mm-hmm. when i'm teaching um i always will say like people with a vulva or people with a penis mm-hmm. or people with periods um and i think it's really important for a couple of reasons so um in the classroom it really helps me to make sure that i'm not alienating trans or non-binary kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also just helps us break down the gender binary by just modeling from a super young age that body parts don't determine gender. Yep. Yeah. And and I think it's, I I have a lot of, trouble with that in like kids books like a lot of times I'm in a lot of like um like uh groups for children about sort of like diverse children's books and you know covering topics like this and a question that's asked all the time is like you know I'm looking for books about body parts and they're all like I'm thinking of amazing you I don't know if you're familiar with this book the cover is literally like blue pink boy girl and it's like boys have this and girls have that and like You know, I'm just like, it's really hard because the books like, or I'm thinking about the, it's not the Stork series. Uh Um, Also like is one of the best in terms of like, it has great diagrams and great, but it is so binary. Yep. And even when they updated it, they just like shoved gay people in the back of it. They were like, I know can be gay. And I'm like, it, you had 20 years and this is the best you did. How dare you? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Similarly, and I really struggle to find resources that I can recommend to families that I feel like um, 
do a good job with this. They just there just aren't that many out there. Yeah, it's and really I think, frustrating. Uh, you know, as a sex educator, when I um, talk to other sex educators, or like when I was working more in public schools and serving on curriculum committees and things like that the pushback would always be like, well, kids can't understand. It'll be too confusing for them. You can't understand. Yeah. And I'm like, no, kids are fine. Be real. The kids are fine. Like it's the adults who are uncomfortable. Um, And I really find that's true in my classes. Like the kids don't have a problem. Yeah. Getting it at all. I like, I've told this story on the podcast before, so I'm sorry, listeners, but I'll, I'll, I'll sum it up. Basically, I had a kid uh, who I was nannying once who was about four, and he, you know, I was helping him in the bathroom, and he was like, as many four-year-olds are, he was a very into his penis, and he was like, hey, I have a penis. Do you have a penis? And I was like, nope. I have a vulva and we just had a conversation about how like everybody, you know, girls can have this and that and boys can have this and that. And some people don't even identify as a boy or girl, right? People can have different body parts. And like, it really, he was just like, okay, can we go play trains? Like it was fine. And it likes, and it sunk in because then at one point we were like on and we were on uh, in an elevator and there was another woman there. And he was asking again about body parts. And this woman just decided to like, butt in and be like, well, girls have vaginas based on something that he said. And he was like, no, girls can have vaginas or penises and like got in a full fledged fight with this adult woman and was like winning the fight. And then at the end, we just walked away and he was like, that lady was confused. (laughs) And I was like, so like, you get it. (laughs) Like you're four. And like, you can understand all of this. Right. And, and so I think it's so funny when adults say that, because I'm like, well, there was, there was also a post, um, made recently uh, that I saw on Instagram that was like, you know, if you think in in a different uh, in a different direction, but like they're like, if you think patriarchy is a big word, like, uh, oh, gosh, what did they say? Now I can't remember what the other word was, but it was like a word we talk talk to kids about all the time. Right. And I'm like, oh, I think I saw that it was like Tyrannosaurus. Thank you. It was a kind yeah. of dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. They're like, if you, you know, if you think that like patriarchy is a big word, so it's Tyrannosaurus. And like, mm-hmm. you know, like kids can get it. Right. And yeah. I think that we you know, a lot of times we act like kids aren't that smart. Like kids are super smart. They're like sponges. Right. And also we're teaching them how everything is. So if we tell them that's the way it is, they're just like, okay. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. We're helping them to not have to unlearn it later. Yep. Oh my gosh. But yeah, I think it's funny when people like put, we, as adults, we project a lot of our own stuff on kids. Totally. Um, I think it's funny when people are like, kids won't get it. I'm like, just because you don't get it doesn't mean that kids won't get it right yeah so i think like i don't know i i feel like when i was like when i think about puberty i think about just like a lot of like shame around my body and like feeling Mm -hmm. weird around my body and so like i'm curious how we can sort of like i don't know i feel i have mixed feelings about the term body positivity but sort of like Mm -hmm. how do we kind of encourage kids to you know feel good about their their bodies like through puberty and sort of all this like weirdness that's going on yeah yeah you know this is another one that's like this is a huge topic and we could talk about it for hours um episode ideas for your podcast yeah totally (laughs) totally um i think i mean i i have a couple of thoughts so when i think about body positivity i think about i think mostly about like Um, body shape and size. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'll talk about that for a minute because that's where a lot of the evidence is around like how to support self-esteem and positive Mm -hmm. body image. Um, But I also think there are other 
body image issues that are less um, well researched and less well addressed specifically Mm. for like trans and non-binary youth. Mm -hmm. And I don't have as much like to say about that. So I think in terms of body positivity, um, one of the things that we know is that kids, uh, a lot of their body image is really dependent on what they see their parents or caregivers doing Mm. or saying, right? So actually the best way to teach kids to have good positive body image or self-esteem is um, modeling, which can be tough, right? Because like we actually live in a culture that tells us all that we're not good enough in some way or another. Yep. Um, and that we should blame hate capitalism. Ourselves. Oh yeah, totally. It's one hundred percent to buy products. Yes. One hundred percent. My my friend and I once we were on a long road trip together and we just like you know when you're just like in a car too long and it's almost like when you're awake for too long and you start like saying like wacky things that we just like came to this conclusion we're like everything boils down to the patriarchy of capitalism mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, like, we're like can we think of anything that's like that's not it's not that's fault <laughs> right totally oh my gosh it's so true so i think like there is some good research that tells us um you know what are some specific evidence-based things that mm-hmm. adults can do to promote positive body image in kids and and like you just as a caveat i have some thoughts about that phrase positive body Mm -hmm. image but i'm just gonna roll with it for the moment yeah i feel like it's a little bit like you must love your body and i'm like yeah "Uh, don't tell me what to do um (laughs) i know right and actually like when you think about people who have like chronic pain or like yeah Yeah. you know just challenges with their body that might make it hard for them to feel positive all the time then they suddenly have a new reason to feel bad about themselves because they can't not to feel positive about yeah like my knees have been giving me a lot of trouble these past couple days i'm like i'm not loving it and that's okay it's okay (laughs) yeah like i feel like like body acceptance or body neutrality Mm. um are for me like things that i strive for more than body positivity i also think that you know a lot of fat justice activists Mm -hmm. like um i'm thinking about aubrey gordon Mm -hmm. do you know them of your fat friend on instagram yeah um in their new book, What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat, um, they really talk They talk about like the limits of body, body positivity because it just focuses on the personal, right? It just focuses on individual self-esteem and body image issues. And while that's certainly valuable and even life-saving for some folks, it's not nearly enough. Like if mm-hmm. we really want um, people to be able to feel good about their bodies, we need to dismantle the societal norms and structures that make mm-hmm. living in a fat body or in a disabled body more difficult and dangerous, right? Yeah. 100%. So anyway, that's my little rant about body positivity. Body positivity. <laughs> but yeah, I think what you were talking about modeling is so important for like so many, I mean, for so many things, but especially for this, right? If, you know, like I grew up um, with basically all the women in my family, you know, like my mom, my grandmother, my aunt, everyone was always dieting. Like yes. my whole, you know, my mom was like on Atkins for a long time and eating these terrible, disgusting Atkins bars. I remember I ate one once. I thought it was a candy bar. Oh my God. It was, it was a horrible moment. It was like when you drink something and you think it's something else. Yes. Um, it was very bad. Um, but anyway, like she, I just grew up with like everyone in my family, like hating their, all the women at least hating their bodies and just like constantly being, you know, dieting. And like the minute that I gained any weight and everyone was, cause I was, um, 
I was, uh, I have ADHD and I was on Ritalin from a very young age. So like I wasn't really, you know, eating or sleeping, which like you need to grow. Um, so I was just like very skinny for a long time. And then as soon as I hit puberty, I like started gaining some weight, like a normal amount of weight. And everyone was like, ah, Uh um, (laughs) you know? And so like, I, my grandma is also like one of those very Italian grandmas where she'll be like, oh, do you want some ice cream? And I'll be like, no, thanks. And she'll be like, you should have some ice cream. And then finally, like she bullies me into having ice cream. And then she's like, you look like you gained some weight. And I'm like, maybe it's because you're forcing me to eat ice cream, grandma. Um, But anyway, so, you know, so I think that like, it's important to think about like what our relationships with our bodies and like what that's, even if we're not saying anything to our kids, what that is saying to our kids. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, I think that's so important. Like don't, if, even if you are dieting as the adult in the house, don't mm-hmm. talk about it in front of mm-hmm. your kids. Just don't. Um, yeah. and the, re- and the research really backs that up actually. Um, the, uh, a couple other really important things in terms of modeling are like, d- don't criticize your body mm-hmm. <laughs> and don't criticize other people's bodies. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was growing up, uh, people would always tell me how much I looked like my mom, mm. um, which really didn't, bother me actually Mm -hmm. like I think my mom is beautiful and you know I took it as a compliment and what I liked feeling close to her in that way whatever Mm -hmm. um but then as I got older she I would hear her all the time be like oh my thighs are so fat or like I don't wear shorts Mm -hmm. because I don't like my legs or what and I remember I don't think I even consciously thought this but I Mm -hmm. grew up like not wearing shorts um Mm -hmm. Because I think I just internalized like, well, if I look like my mom and she has fat legs or she says she has fat legs, then that must mean my legs are fat too. Yeah, absolutely. And I like didn't wear shorts literally until I was in my 30s. Oh my gosh. I know. I was like walking around in jeans all summer long. Like what? It's also so like – I feel like we just – have to combat so much like whether it's like the messages that are being told to our kids through like media or different you know Mm -hmm. different things advertising all these things but like i just think about one comment one mean girl in my class told me i had hairy arms and i literally shaved my arms until i transitioned because someone made a comment once you know what i mean it's like we have to combat all of these things like as parents yeah. like trying to uh or you know adults and in, in a kid's life like trying to reinforce this this kind of stuff it's like you know there's so much going on and and I feel like it's that's why it's so it's just even more important to like like you said do this this kind of modeling of like not right like mm-hmm. you know I I didn't know I mean I'm trying to think now like I feel like I was probably hairier than like my mom, I'm Italian. I'm very hairy. And it's so funny because now that I'm trans, everyone's like, oh, you have such a nice arm hair. You have such nice eyebrows. I'm like, but when I was like, you know, presenting as female, everyone was like, oh, you need to wax your eyebrows. Oh, you have too much arm right. hair. And I'm like, but now it's the right amount. That makes no oh sense. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> but like, so you know, true. I didn't have any like any kind of role models or I wasn't seeing people like now there are I mean even even if they're still like six foot tall skinny models right there are models with unibrows and there are models with you know bushy eyebrows and arm hair and right I wasn't seeing any of that totally um, when I was a kid or like people in the media or things like that right yeah and so all it took was one main comment (laughs) yeah yeah 
And I think you're right that like media representation of different bodies has gotten better. Um, and it's still not so good, important. It's not great, <laughs> but it's better. But and it's still like so important for us to teach our kids media literacy too. Mm-hmm. Oh my um, gosh, yes, should be critical and yeah, yeah. Same thing with like picture books or uh, you know movies, TV shows, things like that. Like that, we can pause. And be like, what do you think about that thing that just happened? <laughs> right? Right. Um, I think that's so important uh, when something happens that we're like, it's not feeling good to us or that like we feel like it's a teachable moment. We could be like, hey, wait a minute. Uh, don't you think it's interesting that like fat people always have to be like the funny person? Yeah. Or like the butt of a joke in a show? Hmm. <laughs> you know? Totally. So yeah, I think that media literacy is super important. It's something that we we talk about a lot for sure. Um, so we kind of touched on this a little bit when we were talking about, I mean, this is kind of like a leading question that I know the answer to, but, um, (laughs) we touched a little bit on this when we were talking about like trans kids as well. But, you know, I think often like in that, especially in that like fifth grade, what the off, what often happens in the fifth grade, um, uh, kind of, uh, puberty body talk, uh, is that they separate it into boys and girls Mm -hmm. and then give them the talk in that way. And I'm, you know, curious if you think that's a good tactic. (laughs) Um, I think you will not be shocked to hear that I do not <laughs> do not think that's a good tactic. Um, I think there are several and and thankfully, I think actually most schools are getting away from this, or at mm-hmm. least the schools that I've worked with recently. Granted, good. I live in a very progressive part of <laughs> yeah. the country. You're so in Portland, right? Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> so it's possible that it's still happening a lot in other parts of the country. I don't know. Um, but I think there are a couple of reasons why um, keeping them together keeping all genders together for these talks is important. So one is that it just normalizes discussions of sexuality in mixed gender groups, um, which sort of sends the message that there's nothing secretive about it or there's Mm -hmm. nothing to be ashamed of that we can have these conversations openly. Um, It also builds empathy by teaching the kids what um, what kids of other genders, what their peers of other genders might be going through. And in mm, fact, mm-hmm. I always, in, when I'm teaching in schools, I always build in a question um, in our puberty changes lesson about like, what do you think people of other genders are most worried about and what can mm. you do to be supportive of that? And it's always a really that. sweet moment um, when the kids are thinking about that. It also, as you sort of mentioned a minute ago, it avoids marginalizing non-binary students. And it Mm -hmm. also avoids putting some trans students in a situation where they might have to choose between joining Mm -hmm. a group that matches their gender identity or a group that matches their birth assigned sex or worse, being placed in a group by a teacher. Yeah. Um, Which at best, they might not get the information that's relevant to their body. And at worst, could be just deeply hurtful and like possibly out them or be a risk to their safety. Yeah, absolutely. Also, like, I think it's important to like know even even in a situation in a world where everybody has a binary gender and it's the same as their sex right like even in that world that doesn't exist right it's still important to know what's going on with the with other people's bodies right like (laughs) because like i mean a just for like because of empathy and things like that but again even in a world where we're like everybody is hetero whenever okay like then you're gonna be interacting with those body parts you should probably know about them and like what's going on with them right right like so it doesn't even make sense in a world where like all of that stuff is happening which isn't you know isn't even happening right but like it just doesn't make any sense to me that we would be like ooh, you only learn about your stuff and then like that's why like I, i remember like 
when I was in high school, like the boys that I was, the cis boys that I was friends with being like so afraid of like tampon, they'd be like, ah, tampon. Yeah. And I'm like, guys, guys, maybe you should like figure no. some stuff out. Like I literally yeah. remember to the point where like we played a prank on, this was so mean. We played a prank on like one of my friends once. And, like he like, what? And it was not even a good prank. Like he left to you know go get his lunch or something and we like put a tampon on the table just to like freak him out because <laughs> we we're stupid we had nothing better to do at lunch i guess and and i just think about like how like he was just like so freaked out by it i was just like we should probably be like showing boys what tampons look like and like you know like having these yeah, conversations right for sure oh my gosh but anyway before uh we kind of wrap things up i'm uh i'm just wondering if you if you could sort of obviously you've imparted lots of advice but if you could you know just sort of have like one one piece of advice to drive home everything we've been talking about that you have for maybe grown-ups about having these kinds of conversations with kids what would it be yeah i mean i think i think just like don't worry too much about getting it right mm. you know like you should be having not should but like the opportunity to have many conversations over many years is available to you mm -hmm. so like you can always go back and you know, correct or modify what you say. So like, don't yeah. put too much pressure on yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, just it's uh, B minus work is better than <laughs> not done at all. Right. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to tell myself that when like I clean the house in a shoddy way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, well, B minus work is better than none at all. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Do you have any, uh, I know we talked about a lot of bad resources, but do you have any good resources uh, about this topic? You know, for kids or adults, it could be, you know, kids books or websites or whatever. Yeah, totally. So um, I really like the web series, Everybody Curious, uh, which mm. is on YouTube. It's a Canadian web series for kids nine and up. Oh, and cool. it was um, hosted by Nadine Thornhill, who's a really awesome. Oh, yeah. She's been on the black, podcast. Uh, sex educator. Yeah, yep. she's awesome. Um, and Eva Bloom, who's another sex educator. Um, and then I really love the book Wait What, which is by mm -hmm. Heather Corinna, the founder of Scarletine um, and Isabella Rotman. That one's for slightly older adolescents. Uh, like my eight-year-old read it and was like, what's happening? Um, <laughs> what is this about? Um, and then the other one I really like, although it is quite gendered, unfortunately, but it's otherwise very good um, is celebrate your body and its changes too by Sonia Renee Taylor, mm -hmm. and that's for, good for kids eight plus. Oh, cool! You know about the Everybody book? It's that sounds it's, familiar. Oh gosh, it's by uh, <laughs> Rachel Rachel Simon, but it's a it's a slightly newer, but it's um it's really really great, and it covers everything from like bodies to um, puberty to sex to how babies are made, like all that kind of all those things that get clumped into that one conversation um but it's really good it's like the most inclusive book i've ever seen like there is an illustration of like a pregnant trans man nice. um, there's like like it's really great so that's one that i would definitely recommend and then talking about it's like body positivity e but also does like show bodies with like armpit hair and bodies with you know body like different kinds of bodies that i really like I like the title in French a lot more. I saw this book in French first, and then when they when it came out in English, I was like, I don't like that title. Uh, it's called Love Your Body, which I don't like because you're telling me what to do. Uh, but it's by Jessica Sanders. In French, it's Dear Body, I Love You, which like feels Aww. nicer. I don't know. In some way, it's like I'm choosing. I don't know. It doesn't feel like you're telling me to do it. But that one I really love because it it's just like it's it's geared towards um, like cis girls, uh, but like all the bodies that are shown are 
Um, I mean, I'm reading them as as uh, cis girls, um, but it uh, they show like super like all different kinds of bodies. Like there are fat bodies, there are bodies with cellulite, there are bodies with armpit hair. There are like you know uh, there are all different abilities. So like that body or that body that book <laughs> I really like just for the amount of representation that's in it, and it gives. It's also really it's almost like it's like part picture book part like not like self-help guide but like it gives you like practical things that you can do which i really like uh because i'm i'm like that i'm like okay i feel this way but like what do i do about it yeah Um, yeah so so i really like that book as well nice i have not heard of either of those so i'm really excited to check them out isn't it fun when you find out about books you haven't heard of this happened to me recently where someone told me about a book and i was like oh i don't know about that one (laughs) I always love hearing about new resources. Yeah. Well, it's like we need them because like we were saying, there's just so many out there that are just like so binary. And so I'm just like, Mm -hmm. it's so it's so hard when, you know, you have to edit and like spend your energy like rewriting books with your kids being like, well, they say this, but that's actually not true. So it's not it would be nice if we could just make the resource that is correct but uh anyway uh the last thing i want to ask you is just if you have any uh besides your cool new podcast um or maybe you can tell us more about where we can find information about that but if you have any personal projects or work that you want to plug and uh where can people find you on the internet assuming you would like to be found yeah totally so i think i mentioned earlier that my jam these days is really supporting parents and caregivers and talking to their kids about sex and bodies and relationships um so i do a lot of that work in person here in portland but i also do have some um, virtual classes. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, um, and I'm launching a new monthly workshop series mm. um, that'll start this month. And I have a couple of self paced online courses, um, including one on talking to kids about puberty. Um, oh, so, awesome. that is like all the sort of what, when, and how details that folks mm-hmm. would need to have really great puberty mm-hmm. talks with their kids. And that's all on my website, which is www.everybodytalks.co not .com.co. Um, and people can also find me on the gram. I'm on Instagram at uh, everybody talks. And there's a period between every and buddy. So okay. every dot body talks. And, and if um, folks are just curious to keep up with what I'm doing, like want to hear when the podcast launches, they can also sign up for my newsletter on my website. Oh, cool. Look at that. Fancy. You have a newsletter. Well, I don't don't uh, write in it super regularly, but it it exists. (laughs) My my wife, who um, is a uh, she does like graphic design and web design and things like that. She was like, Seth, you should have a newsletter. And I'm like, I will literally never write it. Also, I hate getting newsletters. So like, I don't want to make one. Um, like I feel like whenever I get a newsletter, I'm like, delete. There's like a few that are like good quality ones that I'll read, but I'm like, it's almost like I feel the same way about sending cards. I hate getting cards in the oh. mail unless they have money in them or unless there's something nice written in it. Like if you just send me a card and you're like, love Seth, like I don't want it. I just yeah. recycle it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I never you. send people cards like that. Like they either have something really lovely written in them or there's something fun in there, like stickers or like, uh, I don't know. I just... I'm like, if I don't like it, then no one else could like it, right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh my gosh. But anyway, it has been such a pleasure talking oh with gosh. you. Um, Likewise. And I, yeah. And I really mean that. I don't I don't just say that here on. I don't lie. <laughs> I would just be like, okay, bye. Anyway, um, it really has been such a pleasure. Um, and I'm excited to see, uh, to hear more about your podcast and follow yeah. you and the things that you're doing. Because we definitely, like we said, we need more of this work out there for sure. So thanks for doing it. <laughs> My pleasure. And thank you. Thanks for your yeah. work. This has been super fun. 
Hello friends, it is me, Seth. I don't know why I said that. You know it's me. It would be weird if it was someone else. Uh, so uh, just the regular stuff from me today. As always, uh, definitely check out the Upford Network, which is the network that we're a part of. Uh, you can do so by going to www.upfordnetwork.com. Um, we're also doing an Indiegogo uh fundraiser campaign right now to try and get a new computer for the studio as well as some new microphones and equipment and all our old equipment is actually going to be going to a local i can speak a local youth center uh which we're really excited about um so yeah you can do that by going to uh indiegogo.com and just searching upford network uh or you can just click the link below in the show notes that's weird below is relative i don't know click the link in the show notes and as always uh if you would like some awesome children's books you can do so by i mean you can get them plenty of places but one place that has some awesome children's books is uh, a kids book about so you can go to www.kidsbookabout.com and uh, there they have awesome books and if you use the code 2021 rad child you can get uh five dollars off your purchase and also when you use that code it helps us out as well because they know that our discount code is getting listeners to buy their awesome books um so definitely uh why not you get five dollars off use that code other than that, just the regular stuff. If you would like to follow us on social media, you can do so by uh, going to Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and just searching at Radchild Podcast. If you would like to contact us, you can go to www.radchildpodcast.com and go to the contact us section. There's a form you can fill out there and there's also information about how to be a guest. We're always looking for new guests, so definitely fill that out. If you're interested, I mean, don't fill it out if you're not interested. That would be weird. Oh, if you would like to support us with a monthly donation, you can do so by going to patreon.com and searching for Rad Child Podcast. And uh, there you can donate as little as a dollar a month. I mean, honestly, it's awesome. Uh, you get rewards for as little as a dollar a month. It's 12 bucks a year, uh, which is not that much money if you have money to spend on a, you know, a good cause. If you listen to us regularly, you like what we do, we would really appreciate the support. Uh, and you can also get all kinds of awesome rewards depending on how much you donate so there's things like my favorite thing is Seth's picks because I have so much fun doing it which is basically uh, depending on your tier several times a year uh, I'll send you things that I think are cool so they might be like children's books toys uh, like adult books for adults about child rearing uh, just all kinds of fun goodies uh, and I, I just love sending care packages I have a little bit of a problem with care packages so let me send you a care package um, sign up for that <laughs> um, there's also things like a book club with me there's all kinds of cool things um there's story time with me so uh yeah there's a lot of fun things you can do oh coloring pages too my lovely wife Catherine, an editor of our way to go and room to grow episodes also makes some coloring pages and you can get those for as little as five dollars a month so every month you get a new coloring page uh and you can print that out as many times as you want so really it's a bargain and yeah i think that's about it Oh, one more thing, actually, I should have put this at the top, um, but oh well, too late now. Uh, that's actually not true. I have the power of editing on my side, but eh. we are going to be, we're updating our website. We're going to be changing up the format a little bit. So the website will still be the same address, www.rodchildpodcast.com. It's just going to look a little different and that will be happening sometime soon. We'll see what happens. And yeah, other than that, that's it for me. So I'm going to hand it over to Rebecca and Crystal and we'll get back uh, to the second half of the show and you can meet our next guest. Do you wish more picture books truly reflected your family's values? Have you ever thought you found the perfect book, but when you got it home, it completely missed the mark? 
Shift Book Box is a picture book subscription service for kids ages 3 to 8, built around themes of social justice and centering diverse characters and creators. Each box features two beautiful picture books as well as expertly crafted discussion guides. We know that families want to engage kids in conversations about social justice topics, and we recognize how challenging it can be to find the right books and to feel supported in having these conversations. We find the books... We provide the prompts. You get both delivered to your door. Subscribe today at shiftbookbox.com and use the code RADCHILD. RADCHILD. All one word. RADCHILD. RADCHILD. For 10% off your first order. Shift Bookbox. Curating little libraries. Cultivating big change. Hey folks, welcome back to the second half of our episode about puberty. So I have with me uh, another lovely guest who I'm going to uh, invite to introduce themselves. So we're just going to do our uh, name, pronouns, where you're from, your relationship with kids, and your relationship with the theme of puberty. So my name's Kata McCormick-Evans. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm from Cambridge, Mass. My relationship with kids is I've worked with kids of all ages um, in kind of different capacities, both as an oldest sibling, an oldest cousin in my family, um, and as a nanny slash babysitter, and as an art teacher and lead staff member at a small day camp. Um, And currently, I'm an art educator and a full-time tutor working with high school students, but this summer, I will be um, starting grad school to get a master's degree in elementary education. So I'll be an elementary classroom teacher in a year if all goes well. My background is in art ed too. So that's awesome. I love Oh, that. so cool. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. My relationship with the theme, I'm a person with a body. So I have experienced puberty, <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess. And I also strongly believe in the importance of shame-free discourse and education around Mm. bodies for young people. Um, And I think that adults often feel like they need to dance around topics like sexuality or puberty that can leave young people not only with factual misconceptions and confusion, but a sense of shame about their bodies. Um, Mm -hmm. And so as a teacher and childcare provider, it's important to me to help the children I teach or care for feel empowered with knowledge, not just about academics, but also about themselves and each other and their bodies. And so I think teaching about puberty and body changes from a young age and creating an environment in which kids can feel empowered to ask questions can really help kids become more confident and compassionate and ready for changes their bodies will inevitably undergo. So I guess, yeah, that's why as a as an educator and childcare provider, it's important to me to start these conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it's sometimes our own insecurities and the things that make us uncomfortable or maybe, uh, you know, the experiences that we've had with our parents having discomfort around these kinds of topics that make it difficult uh, sometimes for us to, or we feel like these conversations are so difficult. And also, like, I think there's this weird myth that we have to give, like, the talk. Like, it's one conversation where you have to (laughs) encompass everything from puberty and body changes to sex to consent Mm -hmm. to, right? And it's like that, first of all, that you can't how long would that convert you it would be a lecture and no child would want to sit for it to to give it correctly right and it should be like all all these continuous conversations and like you were saying like right it should start when we're young because like 
if it's starting when it's happening, it's too late. Like I would need to know what's <laughs> happening before it's going to happen. You know, I, my, I was talking earlier with a friend and we were talking about this idea of like, you know, when people will kind of narrate for children, like young children, they'll be like, okay, like we're going to go to the park now, or like, I'm going to put your jacket on or mm-hmm. right. Like we do all of this narration when kids are young and then we're like, not going to tell them what's going to happen to their bodies. Yeah. <laughs> we absolutely. spent all this time telling them everything that's going to happen. And then we're like, mm, but we're not going to tell you about this one. <laughs> like, absolutely. <laughs> this podcast is, you know, we often talk about these kinds of uh, questions that kids ask that kind of catch us off guard or like we're not really prepared to answer. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm curious if there's ever been a time where a child has asked you a question that kind of caught you off guard or you weren't really prepared to answer. Yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> As I'm sure you hear all the time, um, many more than one time. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, <laughs> that this has happened. But one that came to mind that's not about the topic is that there's this I've been for the past six summers or so, I've been the lead art teacher at a small day camp. Mm-hmm. And so when the kids arrive in the morning for drop off, everyone's hanging out outside and they can all choose from a number of different activities, one of which is coming to draw or do a project at the art table. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one year is like the first or second day of camp, a kid who's new at camp that year, um, who I didn't know that well, comes up and starts drawing at the table and then asked me, we're not allowed to draw violence, right? (laughs) Um, And (laughs) I was kind of like, oh, wow, I've really never thought about that. Um, (laughs) First of all, what does that mean? Second of all, you know, everyone needs to feel safe at camp. Any kind of drawing that can make a kid feel unsafe is not okay with me. On the Mm. other hand, I'm not super comfortable making like a hard and fast rule unless I'm really clear on why I'm making the rule. I'm not sure exactly what violence means in this context. Um, People use art to express painful ideas and work through them since pretty Mm -hmm. much forever. So there's definitely certain ideas that might not be safe or appropriate at a children's camp, but I also didn't want to be like, yeah, no, you're not allowed to um, and move on. It's a tricky one. Yeah, it was a really good question. And I kind of tried to ask more about what they meant and the kids. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's exactly what I would do. I'm like, what does that mean? What do you want to yeah. draw? You know? <laughs> exactly. Um, and the it kind of seemed like someone had said this before maybe mm. to them. And they were like, I think kids try to figure out how the world works through yeah. rules all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And so the kid is kind of like, you know, violence. Like, we're not allowed to draw violent things, right? And I kind of – I think I probably said something like, you know – we need to make sure camp is a place where everyone feels safe. So yeah, good point. Wouldn't be a good idea to draw anything that could make someone else feel unsafe at camp. But if you have mm-hmm. a specific idea of something you want to draw um, and you don't know if this is the right place for it, let's talk about it. I kind of lucked out in the sense that it seemed like the kid maybe just wanted to know my reaction and at yeah. that point lost interest a little bit. So it wasn't um, – <laughs> Oh, man, I didn't I'm not going to get a rise out of her. <laughs> I didn't have to make any hard calls that day yeah. about like <laughs> you can't be making this drawing at camp. But it, it definitely was something that I hadn't thought about before, um, like a little – mini censorship free speech question yeah. um art, art, can be, art can be so interesting in this way i my last student teaching placement um was at a middle school and mm-hmm. i uh so i was uh you know this is in, in the united states and i was um teaching so sixth through eighth grade which is like you know 12 to like 13 14 ish like 11 to that you know yeah that range yeah um, because i know i'm in canada and we have a different system here <laughs> so i'm explaining mm-hmm. it for folks who might not know but because whenever i say middle school people here are like what are you talking about but anyway so i had some this one eighth grade boy and at the end of the and like eh, 
he I mean, he kind of wasn't even really on my radar. Like uh, he was quiet. He did his work. But they all had personal sketchbooks and mm-hmm. um, they that they kept at school, but they brought home sometimes and they could work in them. And, you know, sometimes like if they had downtime, they would sketch in their sketchbooks. And I asked that it was my very last day. So like the teacher had already gone home and I was staying in the classroom to do some prep work. And so I wasn't going to be seeing the teacher again. And I asked mm-hmm. her, hey, can I look through some of the kids sketchbooks and take pictures because they had done some work that I had, you know, some things, some lessons that I had done. And I was like, can I look through their sketchbooks and take pictures of some of the work to put in my portfolio as like work that my students had done? She was like, totally. <laughs> so I was flipping <laughs> through this kid's sketchbook and it was just penises like the whole like really detailed like oh man the whole book and i just left it on her desk with a little <laughs> note like you might want to look into this just in case it's something you know like <laughs> could be totally normal but you know right. obviously in a school setting you're always worried about like sense of abuse or certain things when um but like for an eighth grader that's also not like totally abnormal but i it was just it was a lot and they were very detailed. And I was like, I don't know about this. You might want to look into it. Okay. It was nice, you know, being with you. Like I didn't even, it was just like this note on her desk that I left. Um, oh man. Yeah. You're like, bye. See but you yeah, later. It can be really interesting though with, with art, because like you were saying, like you don't want to uh, tell kids like you can't express yourself. Right. But like, also like, is it appropriate for this setting? Uh, you know, but um, right. Like it's not necessarily like school isn't an art therapy session you know right um so it you know it can be tricky uh when you're dealing with those things because like but like you were saying right art is also like this medium that people use to express themselves through different situations so yeah that's that's like a whole other topic man I'm, you might have to come back <laughs> <laughs> another episode i know and i don't think i i didn't end up feeling like i had a ton of um great answers on that one and was kind of, you know, it, the issue blew over in the moment. But yeah, you're totally yeah. right. There's some stuff that there's a clear reason why, you know, camp or school is not the place. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, it's this incredible outlet. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's, it's definitely a tricky one. I have to like think more about that. How yeah. Handle, handle that situation. <laughs> Once I had a, I was teaching a second grade class. This was my, my mm-hmm. other um, student teaching placement. And I, uh, there, I had the kids draw self portraits of themselves. They'd look in the mirror and draw a self portrait. Mm-hmm. And this one kid there, he had like fangs and blood and his eyes were green and like all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and I went to the teacher, like, is this something we should be worried about? And he was like, his dad does monster makeup. That's his job. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's, oh my that's God, that's awesome. It's, it's also funny how like you need to know like some context of the kids' lives, right? To be able to be like, totally. oh no, that's nothing. You, we don't need to like call a therapist or anything. <laughs> like that's fine. I'm like, okay. That's awesome. But anyway, jumping out of art and uh, into into our topic of puberty, because um, I could just talk about silly art stories all day. Sort of starting with like your own experience, if you're comfortable sharing a little bit, like what was like your own experience of a human going through puberty like like did you feel like prepared for sort of you know the emotional and physical changes that were that were happening like did were you you know did someone prepare you or did you know what was gonna what was going on before it was happening yeah um that's a great question I think I was really lucky in that my parents were super open to discussing Mm. puberty and body changes um with me and without shame and so they provided me a lot of great resources to learn about Mm -hmm. those topics. Like I think I always had books sort of around the house and my mom in particular was pretty open with me from a young age about periods and other things, um, just body things that naturally Mm -hmm. came up. So I think that was extremely lucky. Um, And I also was actually really excited about a lot of the physical changes I was going (laughs) through and was a kid who felt really ready to grow up. And so I was kind of psyched about 
like the idea of developing breasts and getting my period. Um, and I think I thought it would make me more of an adult and I'd become this, <laughs> um, you know, like very confident, beautiful teenager. And I of still course, don't know if I'm an adult. So. <laughs> I know. I, I know. Me neither. And of course, a kid who wears a bra and gets a period is in so many ways still a kid. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I don't think this sudden miraculous shift to being a teenager really happened in the way that I might have thought or wanted it would. And I think the reality of dealing with periods or deodorant and mood swings is less glamorous um, than I imagined it would be (laughs) pre-puberty. So I think the reality of puberty looked a little different than what my ideal vision um, of going through it might have been. But I do think I was lucky in the ways I was prepared for the changes I went through. Mm -hmm. I was probably as prepared as anyone could be. I also will say that I identify as straight and cisgender. And so I think I got a super progressive education from my Mm. parents and school, but my body and identity also matched the more normative messages Mm -hmm. um, in society that I was getting about what puberty should look like for a girl. So I think that made me better prepared and gave me just literally more examples of what puberty would look like for me than other kids might have um, for whom that's not true. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that it's it can be really tricky, you know, with I feel like when I my sex education at school and like education about puberty and all it was basically just the only thing that I remember. And so like, I I can't memory is not, you know, uh, you know, totally 100% at this point, it has been a while since I've been out of high school. But all Mm -hmm. I remember for my sex education, so the part that they stressed the most was showing us scary pictures of STDs. Yeah. And we practiced (laughs) doing um, um, a self like breast exam on like a fake boob. Uh, and I had, and I had to share one with my ex-boyfriend cause we sat next to each other and then we broke up. So it was really awkward. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> that's all I remember from that. And so like, like, I think it's interesting, like maybe they covered other things, but like, that was what they stressed, right? was like, yeah. don't have sex. STDs are bad. You're going to get an STD. Um, right. and it wasn't about having safe sex. They actually brought someone from Planned Parenthood. Um, I still remember him. His name is Anthony. He was very lovely. Um, <laughs> And uh, he, but he, he was kind of like me and loved a good anecdote and spent uh-huh. all his time telling us funny anecdotes and then like never showed us how to put on a condom. Oh, um, and then like he left and they were like, okay, well, they ran out of time for that. So you're just never going to learn how to put on a condom. And we were like, oh, oh man. okay. <laughs> <laughs> also like why the teacher couldn't have just instructed us on how to, like they had to bring someone specialist. Right. On you'd how think. to put on a condom. <laughs> I well, because there's probably so much shame and awkwardness yeah. around that idea. Like, I'm sure the teacher was not psyched about the idea right. of, you know, getting out a condom in front of a group of rowdy high schoolers. Tee hee hee. Yeah. But it was it, it was interesting how, like, and I mean, gosh, like, th- there was in no way was there anything about sexuality? Was there anything about gender? Was there, right? Like, none of that. I mean, at that time, right? Like, yeah. I'm a trans person, and I didn't even know what trans was until I was in, like, my early 20s. So, like, mm-hmm. yeah, it tells you a lot about education. So I talked a little bit about my sex education, quote, unquote, uh, <laughs> if I could even call it that. And I'm curious, like, what sort of sex education you uh, received in school and, like, how that experience was? And, like, did they provide information about puberty? Or was it just, like, you know, what did you, what did you learn about, if anything? <laughs> I do specifically remember, I think it was fifth grade that our classroom teachers mm-hmm. started discussing puberty. Um, at my school. Frankly, I think this might be a little late as puberty is already well underway for lots of kids that age. So Mm -hmm. ideally, some of that information on changing bodies um, and what to expect had come a lot sooner to normalize um, Mm -hmm. 
and familiarize, you know, this is what's going to happen ideally before it happens. Um, yep. But I didn't really have that. Um, I'm sure that I had classmates who already might have had their periods or been starting mm-hmm. to experience some of the changes, certainly BO of puberty. Um, yeah. But I remember our two classroom teachers did split us by gender in two mm-hmm. different rooms. So boys in one room, girls in the other. And I think I remember the teacher who was speaking to the girls where I was, I think wanted to normalize the idea that it was okay to kind of be uncomfortable and squirmy talking about Mm -hmm. these topics. So she kind of said, you know, even I feel a little uncomfortable saying words like breast and vagina in front of the class. Mm -hmm. And I understand this tactic. I think it's a good idea to normalize feeling uncomfortable or squirmy um, talking about bodies in the classroom that is unfamiliar. In this case, I'm not sure it totally worked. Um, (laughs) I remember feeling like it, along with the gender split, there was kind of this implicit idea that we should feel uncomfortable discussing our bodies in school. And so it's tricky. Not everyone does feel comfortable talking about bodies in the classroom. These topics are super stigmatized. (laughs) I do think as an educator, it's ideal to cultivate an environment where it's okay for kids to maybe feel uncomfortable or squirmy or silly, but also setting a tone that um, doesn't add to a sense of shame or discomfort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So that was one thing I was reflecting on. I'm pretty sure even though I went to a very school that was awesome and very progressive in many ways, I think there was super gendered language used Mm -hmm. about girls get their periods and boys I don't know if I even learned about what happens. So I find this idea so fascinating because even in a world where everyone is assuming that everybody is cis and straight, right? The assumption is that as a girl, eventually you will be with a man because we're making the assumption that everybody is straight. So you should probably know about penises. Like even in the straight people world, I'm like, why do you think it's a good (laughs) idea that we don't know about the opposite? Like it doesn't make any sense even for straight people to me. I'm like, (laughs) like, then you're going to get there and be like, what's this? (laughs) Like, oh. Totally. Um, if there is that implication, you're going to encounter a penis at some point, right? Why so, so even not how it works. Yeah, it makes it makes no sense, and um, and like uh, and obviously like vice versa, right? Like yeah, the, totally. The fact that we we only you know that we. So I'm I'm actually curious. Like I, I'm getting, and tell me if I'm wrong, but um, from some you know just subtle undertones in your I'm in your uh, speech, I'm getting that uh, you're maybe not a fan of the splitting of the genders. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's getting those little hints. You're correct. You're and, uh, you know, so I'm curious, like, why do you think that's not a good tactic? And I mean, we talked about it a little bit already, but just to elaborate on that. Yeah. So I think there's a couple reasons it's not a great tactic. It is tricky because I think the initial assumption is kids are going to be more comfortable learning about their anatomy mm-hmm. if they're among people who share the same anatomy. But I do believe the divide can do more harm than good for a few mm-hmm. reasons. One, and this might be the big and obvious one to me, is that it totally could cause unnecessary discomfort, shame, confusion, all of the above um, for a kid whose identity either doesn't match girl or boy or isn't sure if it does or who might be trans but not ready to be out to classmates or non-binary yeah. also but not like ready intersex to- folks yeah totally like so many people can be alienated by that so many people can be alienated and the moment of yeah the public kind of aligning with one side or the other mm-hmm. I think could be really painful and damaging um yeah. and I also think that the the separating in the first place, underlines the incorrect idea that gender is a binary and is determined Mm -hmm. by our anatomy. 
And so if we're trying to come to puberty education from a place of inclusivity, that's just, I think, you know, a terrible way to go about it um, to start things (laughs) off. Um, And I think that giving an inclusive education to everyone together is one of the biggest things we can do to be inclusive and prevent discomfort or even fear and pain for kids Mm -hmm. for whom it might not be that simple to just divide um, into girls versus boys. And then also, I think you touched on this, but, you know, learning only about bodies that are like your own, I think really contributes to a sense of mystery, taboo, and stigma about bodies Mm -hmm. that have different anatomy. Um, And so I think learning about all bodies during puberty is a really great way to reduce body shame and stigma. So for example, I was thinking about periods. Only If mm-hmm. only people with vulvas learn about periods, people with penises internalize this sense that already I think is really pervasive, that periods are this mm-hmm. mysterious and secret shameful thing, like you were saying about your dad. Um, yeah. You know, like you, mentioned you didn't want to like, hear about it. Yeah. Um, I, I still remember being but, in high school and having a friend who was like so disgusted by tampons, like a clean tampon. It's just yeah. cotton with a string on yeah. it. Like. You know, but he was like, he would like freak out if anybody, you know, if you dropped your bag and the tampon fell out or something, he'd be like, oh, tampon. Totally. Like, and I remember feeling super embarrassed about getting out <laughs> yeah. a tampon to go walk to the bathroom or whatever in mm-hmm. high school. But yeah, even if you're, you know, a person with a penis who's never going to have a partner who has periods, maybe you're going to have kids, maybe you're going to have friends. Hopefully you will have all those right. things. Um, <laughs> someone in your life is going to have that experience. And I think, yeah, you know, not just periods, but we can be. In learning about all bodies, I think we can become much more empathetic and compassionate to just have relationships with others. I was just going to say, it made me think about that that uh, scenario uh, with my dad on the road trip. Also made me think yeah. about like having cis male teachers who wouldn't let folks go to the bathroom. Yeah. And you'd have to be oh like, gosh. Yeah, my period. Right? It would be like, right. and then they'd be like, oh, 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 like, just let me go to the bathroom. Like, you know, and... I I always like I'm someone I'm a very small person um, and I go to the bathroom a lot like if I'm hydrated <laughs> I'm just like in there yeah. every hour so I would have teachers who thought that I was like trying to get out of class to go to the bathroom and oh, I'm weird. like I'm a good kid I have good gra- like just let me go to the bathroom like you know yeah. um, and like even like regardless that's just like a, that should just be like a human human decency thing like if someone says they have to go to the bathroom let them go unless they're gone for like i don't know two hours or something right they just disappear (laughs) and never come back and it's a you know and also like you're a teacher right so you can pick up on right you're gonna know yeah if a kid is leaving for 30 minutes every day in your class then maybe they're trying to ditch your class right but i just you know i always like i think about that like as an educator it's so important to just like respect like a basic respect of like letting people go to the bathroom when they have to go and not like you know uh, interrogating them about it totally because um, like how embarrassing is that also to be like and like you just went to the bathroom like i know <laughs> right <laughs> i'm aware yeah. um oh yeah i think it's such a bodily autonomy thing and if we're yeah. trying to foster body autonomy and help our kids learn to listen to their bodies and respond as such yeah who am i to say you don't need to go to the bathroom well, I, I still remember the first time in college i raised my hand to go to the bathroom and they were like you could just go and i was like what <laughs> I don't need permission to go to the bathroom. Yeah, it was like such a wild experience to be able to yeah. just like be like, oh, I feel like I have to pee. I can just pee now. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's so funny because I feel like we go from like when we're kids, right? Like that's what potty training is. We're teaching young kids to like understand their body signals and respond right. to them. And then we're like, well, now you can't. You have to go when I say you can. Right. For like 
10 years and then we'll let you do it again. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> weird. It's <laughs> so silly. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so yeah. you mentioned the idea that, um, you know, you feel like even fifth grade might be too late to start talking to kids about uh, puberty and these body changes and everything. So like, what age do you think we should start having these conversations? I think this could be a surprising answer to some people, but I really think there's no time that's too early to start talking to kids about bodies. I um, tend to agree with you. And I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you touched on this um, earlier too, when you were saying the idea of the talk as one big mm. conversation that just encompasses absolutely everything, <laughs> um, understandably is really daunting and overwhelming if you think yeah. about it that way. But, you know, everyone has a body, including babies, and I think mm -hmm. parents and caregivers can start communicating important lessons about anatomy and consent and body autonomy from mm -hmm. the very beginning. And so I think, you know, I feel like this is a something you talk about on the podcast or a, a foundational idea to your podcast, but I feel like there's an age-appropriate way to mm -hmm. address almost any topic with Absolutely. kids. Um, and I think the level an amount of information you provide might differ based on the child's yeah, age and what course. they're ready for and what information they need in the moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also like what they like, like you just said, the information that they're asking for, like sometimes kids will ask what seems like a big question, but they really just want a basic answer. They're not looking for, you know, us to give them a lecture with PowerPoint slides about gender or puberty or whatever it is. They're just like, you know, oh, hey, I see that you have, you know, things on your chest that I don't have. What are those? And you're just like, those are my breasts. And they're like, okay. And then they go play with trucks. Like they don't <laughs> need a whole, you know, a whole thing. Uh, not to say that that, that could, you know, depending on the age of that child and your relationship with that child, that might actually be a good opportunity to talk about the differences between in that example of like adults' bodies and kids' bodies. Right. But, you know, sometimes they're just looking for that basic answer and we want to give them, we feel like we need to give them this whole big thing. Uh, totally. And, and, you know, it's important to just, I always say to like answer a question with a question of like, what do you already know about that? Or like, what do you want to know about that? Right. Um, yeah. To elaborate almost like you did in that art example, right. Of like just elaborating a little bit before we give an answer um, that maybe we want to gather all the information. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I think this is something I've heard on the podcast a couple times before that I think about all the time about make sure you're answering what the kid is really asking. <laughs> yeah. um, like figure out what they mean before you dive into some total, mm -hmm. um, you know, something you think is really <laughs> like this important and long drawn out description of what you think. I use the same example a lot. So I'm going to use a different one. I, yeah. I might have said this once, but there I was in a, a panel once at Philly Trans Wellness Conference about mm -hmm. how to talk to kids about sex. Um, actually, the moderator was uh, Izzy Abraham. Um, oh my gosh, what's her last name? Raveson, uh, who has been on the podcast before. Oh, uh, cool. They're, they're totally awesome. Um, they do a lot of like consent education and stuff like that. Oh, and awesome. um, so definitely check them out. Someone <laughs> gave the example of their kid asked them, they were in like the gross store or something and their kid asked them what a vibrator was and they went on this whole <laughs> explanation in the grocery store about what a vibrator was they meant like a pager like a beeper. oh my gosh <laughs> you know so like that's so funny. obviously an extreme example but like make sure that you know what your kids are asking right before you're giving them this whole information and they're like oh that's not even what i was asking and yeah you know, yeah, um, totally. And you're thinking, okay, I'm going to be so really I know. super Give progressive and open and ready. Yeah, right. <laughs> for you that you can come to me with any kind of question and I will answer honestly. And the kid's like, oh, wow, I did not need to know that. You're like, that's what doctors <laughs> do with those when they get buzzed? Um, oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so that's definitely. Too funny. 
definitely important. I feel like it's it's so funny. I was I uh, guested on another podcast talking about sort of like trans things. It's, it's called Balancing Cultures. It's a it's a really great podcast. Oh, cool. About all sorts of different different people and their life experiences. But one of the things I did was I I literally feel like I, I need to just like write a book one day. But I feel like there's almost like uh, a flow chart in my brain of like kid asks a question like what do you respond with right of like <laughs> you ask then you go to the next step which is like you ask them a question and then like then they respond and then like then you know I feel like there's almost like totally you know this sort of like ask them a question figure out what they're saying and then like formulate a response or like you know the option can also be like I don't know right now. I'm going to think about that and get back to you. That's something that I think with questions about like puberty and sex, where a lot of times grownups get sort of like awkward or tripped up or they don't know the right way to say it. Like it is totally valid to just be like, I'm going to think about that and get back to you. As long as that is not a, a way of cheating and never answering their question, you have to actually think about it and get back to them. Absolutely. Um, but it shows that like you're, you care about the question. And it's important to you to really think about it and answer it in the, in, you know, a good way. Yeah, um, yeah, I I totally agree. And I, I think one reason why grown-ups might feel nervous or daunted by having mm-hmm. these big conversations and talking about bodies or puberty and sexuality is kind of the idea that they need to have all the answers or that you need to have yeah. the perfect answer at the given time, but you can let yourself off the hook um yeah, a little bit 100%. on that. And I think kids feel honestly heard and respected um when you yeah. can say, you know, I'm not sure, let's look it up together or I'm not sure I'm going to think about it. I'm and that's great modeling for kids that yeah, they can also say, I don't know. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think that's great. On the, on the age of talking about bodies mm-hmm. and puberty from the beginning, one thing that parents and caregivers can do from the start, that's not necessarily a big conversation explaining puberty, but I think can, we can talk about kids' bodies um, using anatomically correct language as much mm-hmm. as possible um, in a matter of fact way. So I think parents or caregivers can get comfortable using words like vulva, vagina, mm-hmm. or penis when bathing and diaper changing and mm-hmm. toilet training. And I think that naming those parts and showing kids how to properly clean and care for them and modeling consent by asking permission before helping a child um, mm-hmm. can really go a long way to set a foundation for learning about puberty and body changes later yeah, on. So absolutely. even with a baby, you can narrate what you're doing while changing a diaper. You know, now I'm going to lift your legs so I can wipe your vulva. Now I'm going to mm-hmm. put on some diaper cream to soothe your skin. Um, and as an educator in the classroom, it's really important to me to set a culture of consent of mm-hmm. asking before touching other people's bodies, yep. asking, you know, do you want a hug? Do you want a high five? Um, mm-hmm. And thinking about the conversation around bodies and gender really early. I think that kids are, they're not too young to learn that um, bodies and gender. They're so smart. And, you know, don't say things like girls when you mean people who have vulvas. Um, And Mm -hmm. (laughs) you can be explicit about that to first and second graders, depending on the context, you know, not everyone is a boy or a girl. Not all boys have penises. Not all girls have vulvas. And I I think it's like starting the conversation there makes it hopefully prevents ideas that need to be unlearned later um yeah even like with like i try to use gender neutral language like if i'm reading a book or i see a kid i i will not be like that's a boy or a girl i'll be like that's a kid yeah 
I'll use yes, they them mm-hmm. pronouns. Like, I don't know their pronouns. I don't know their gender. I don't know their sex. Like, I don't I don't know anything about them. There is a kid on the street or a kid in a book, right? Unless the book uses specific pronouns, then, like, fine, I will use those pronouns. But, right, that doesn't even necessarily mean that that character is a boy just because they're using he, him pronouns or whatever. Totally. And because I don't want – I had a com- – I don't even know who I was having or if it was, like, a discussion that I saw on a Facebook group or something about how, like, mm-hmm. okay, but, like, as, like – like I'm thinking about like flashcards or whatever, they'll always be like boy, girl. And I'm like, okay, but we don't just because that person's wearing a dress means nothing about their gender or their identity. And so like, I also try to like educate in that way where like, it's so funny whenever they, they haven't figured out that people is plural yet. So whenever they see someone, they just go a people, um, the two, (laughs) the two and a half year olds that I nanny. Um, it's it's really funny. They're like, look, a people. But right, they just like call everyone people. <laughs> like they, it's not yeah. like that's a girl, that's a boy. Although they are starting to call everyone who they're perceiving to be. I thought I was doing well. I thought I was doing a good job. I I got them some books. I basically told the parents I was like, hey, give me a budget. I will buy you some great kids books for them because they kind of outgrown a lot of their books. Oh, that's and awesome. That's such yeah, a fun it was project. really fun. I love doing. I love kids books. So oh I, yeah, me I too. love doing that stuff. And um, so I happened to get them one in one of the books. There are two two women who are together mm-hmm. and in two of the books in fact there are two men who are together but in one specifically like there are two mommies and and two daddies because mm-hmm. one of the books is prince and knight in which they're not parents so they're mm-hmm. just two men but anyway so i, I would point it out because it was it was incidental representation it wasn't like a big point of the book so in yeah. both of those books i would be like oh you know look that they have two mommies isn't that so cool or they have two daddies isn't that so cool to like mm-hmm. point it out to them and make them understand that like those are two parents and yeah. so now every time we were out getting ice cream the other day and we were sitting on the bench because you know they're toddlers so it takes them like an hour eating ice cream alone. we're sitting <laughs> on the bench and people are walking by and anytime they saw someone Nora saw someone who she was perceiving was two women or two men she would go look daddies two daddies two mommies and I'm like oh but also like not everyone is a mommy or daddy like we need to have that conversation now but it's so funny she'd see like you know like a mother daughter and be like two mommies oh man new friends that's so Um, funny but yeah I was like okay so like I'm doing the work, but like we, now we just need to talk about the fact that not everyone's a mommy. What that means, <laughs> or like even when you were talking about like the sex and gender stuff. Like I had a kid who this was the first week I was working with him. It was a four year old um, mm-hmm. who I was nannying, and he still needed help with the bathroom. So mm-hmm. we were in the bathroom, and he was just like, "I have a penis. Do you have a penis?" And I was like, "Nope." And then I was just like, yeah, I am a boy, but I have a vulva and like some boys have vulvas and some, you know, boys have and it just sort of like went into it and like some people yeah. aren't even a boy or a girl. And he was just like, okay, can we play trains now? And like, uh. and like every so often he would kind of check in about it, even to the point where, and I've told this story so many times, I will paraphrase it, but even to the point where like one time, like a stranger basically said something like kind of cut into our conversation with him and I and said something about how girls have vaginas, which is just a weird thing Ooh. for a stranger to say. Yeah. And he, and he got into a fight with her and was like no girls can have vaginas or penises and and like and he and then after we left he was like that lady was confused kids can understand that stuff it's not you know and he would check in every once in a while be like so you're a boy but you have a vagina or vulva right yeah you'd be like okay you know and uh it wasn't it's like we're teaching kids everything anything we say to them they're going to be like, oh, okay. Like, it's not like far out or weird because they haven't been socialized in the way that adults have been socialized. You know what I mean? That we react that kind of way. Yeah. Anyway. It's not that they're too young to be ready for that oh. information. It's that we can give it to them when they're young and it's that's when they're the most ready. You know, not every caregiver, or teacher, or parent might be comfortable discussing their own body yeah, in course. that way. And I think it's awesome. Um 
so awesome that you were in that moment. But I think there's ways to be really open about addressing body stuff and not feel like, um, you know, as a caregiver, you have to go into your own. um, And I mean, also like could be a good uh, time to talk about boundaries and like what questions are like appropriate. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And also like you can also answer the question and then say, but maybe not everyone wants to answer that question. Right. And like not everyone wants to talk about, you know, their body parts. And, and so I think whether you answer the question or not, it's also a good time to talk about like boundaries. (laughs) Yeah, and so um, lucky for him that he had such a fantastic caregiver who. Could- and then I was like, <laughs> and then it was funny though because I was like, I went to the parents and I had kind of like, you know, I I always out myself at interviews because mm-hmm. if people are going to be transphobic, I'd rather them do it before they hire me. Mm. Um, <laughs> and so they knew I was trans, and like they were, uh, you know, I I like kind of gotten a feel for you know where they sort of stood with things like that. But mm-hmm. I just went to them and was like, if he starts telling you. Like uh, that, I have a vulva. This is why, right? I don't want him to just walk up and be like, "Santa's a vulva," and they're like, "Whoa, what's going on here?" <laughs> that was the thing I was most concerned about. I was like, you know, nothing weird is going on because you know how kids will just like throw stuff off like that and then go play, and the parents are like, "What?" So, like, as as an educator, and I know you've done educating in a lot of different facets. I don't remember if you mentioned this, but like, have you had like hands-on experience doing this this kind of education, or is it just something that like you? are kind of passionate about? A little of both, I would say. So as I've said, I think it's really important to start building a foundation Mm -hmm. of knowledge and conversations in order to make learning about puberty as useful um, and effective (laughs) later on as possible. So as an educator, I always want to be emphasizing consent and body autonomy Mm -hmm. and also gender and body inclusivity as much as I can, as early as I can. Um, So for example, I'm a classroom teacher for young children and thus far Mm -hmm. I've primarily been an art teacher um so there's not necessarily an organic opportunity for um, (laughs) like a puberty education class in that context but even as an art class I can make sure I'm addressing the class as students instead of as Mm -hmm. boys and girls um and I can make sure the students are engaging with each other's bodies with consent um Mm -hmm. and I can also chat with students about gender you know it's all totally organically, I would say almost every summer it's come up that not everyone's a boy or a girl and boys Mm -hmm. and girls and people of any gender can express their gender in a whole variety of ways. Um, And so I think little kids are naturally curious about bodies and they ask questions and they're interested in figuring this stuff out. So I feel like as an educator in any classroom capacity, um, you know, my job is to help them navigate these questions in a way that will help them develop a compassionate and accurate expansive view of their bodies and their genders and the changes they might eventually go through. Um, But I did, I was thinking, as I was thinking about the unexpected questions from kids question that you asked earlier, I was remembering that I was working as a babysitter um, or in-home caregiver for a dear friend's seven-year-old one time. Um, And so I picked them up from school and we were eating dinner and this child really always asks me the hard-hitting questions. And they kind of just <laughs> looked up from their pasta and asked me, what is puberty? Um, and I think it was uh, literally just that word. Um, and they must have heard the word somewhere. Yeah. Um, and we're <laughs> turning it over um, in their brain. And so this, I think, is a great example of, um, you know, an instance of thinking about answering only what the child is asking like they're seven. What are they really asking here? <laughs> they probably literally haven't heard this word before, but great opportunity. It came up. I'm going to make my answer as simple as possible, but not create some kind of mystery about it. 
And so I think I just said puberty is when a child starts to grow from a kid into a teenager and then into an adult. Um, And that's kind of it. Like that's the the simple one-liner. And then they asked me some follow-up questions. And because I'm a close friend of this child's family and a, a regular caregiver in their life, I feel like I had a good sense of their parents' comfort level would be with me discussing these ideas. And so I think there are levels of detail that we can provide based on both what the child needs to know and what we can infer or already know about um, what their parents are are ready for in the case of being an external caregiver. But I think yeah. in the moment I was able to say, you know, they asked follow-up questions about how can you tell? What does that mean? And I was able to mm-hmm. say some kids might experience a growth spurt or they might notice their body's odor start to change. Um, maybe you start to grow hair under their arms mm-hmm. and on their legs. And so I think for a little kid and honestly, even for bigger kids, a simple and factual answer whenever possible that hopefully doesn't give them more info than they need or bargain for, but also doesn't contribute to this sense of kind of shame and mystery. And so, yeah, when I become an elementary classroom teacher, I'll make sure to try to use those same principles um, and hopefully provide designated time to learn about bodies and body changes in a way that's um, accurate and as shame-free as possible and informed by the age and readiness of those students for the information. Absolutely. I think I think there's definitely an age appropriate way to talk to kids about basically anything. And that was actually one of the things that I really took from that panel that I went to with Izzy uh, Mm. was like, they basically challenged the audience. They were like, try and find a thing that I can't answer in an age appropriate way. Um, (laughs) And like, there really are ways to, to answer even like the, you know, the you know dirtiest questions you could possibly think about about sex or whatever right people were like what's a sex toy or what's this and like Mm -hmm. you can really if you boil it down to the basics you can really find a way to talk about Mm -hmm. all of those kinds of things you know and again answering the question that they're asking and giving them age-appropriate information right um so i think that that's really important to remember and again like if you can't figure out a way like if your kid's like what's a dildo and you're like ah ah (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to think about that and get back to you, right? Um, yeah. I think is a, a valid way. Instead of just like fumbling your way through and, you know, giving an answer that maybe you later uh, regret. And also, if you do give an answer that you later regret, it's okay to come back and be like, you know what? I thought about that and I would like to change my answer <laughs> or add yeah. to it or whatever, you know? And all of that, um, like you said, is modeling um, yeah. for kids, both that you respect them as And, you know, you respect them enough to give them the correct information or thoughtful information, depending on um, what the kind of question is, and that you can, you know, you trust that they can handle it if you come back and say, actually, I was wrong, or I have more information. Yeah, people make mistakes or say the wrong thing or think of something else (laughs) I want to say literally every day. And so I think that's awesome. It's this idea of multiple conversations too, right? And not just one single conversation where you have to get everything right because it's impossible. Yeah. Uh, even if you've practiced your speech, you know, every day <laughs> for your whole life, you're, you know, your kid's going to ask a question or something's going to come up, right? It's like, it's not going to be perfect. Absolutely. We talked about this a little bit, but like, how do we, you know, focus on like talking about puberty in like a shame, a, way, a shame-free way, a way that promotes, you know, not feeling shame about our bodies and body positivity isn't the right word because I have mixed feelings about that phrase. But Mm -hmm. like with not feeling shame about our bodies or the changes that are happening is the best way is the best way to kind of put it. Because I feel like, you know, I'm thinking about 
me feeling ashamed that like I had BO or whatever, those kinds of mm-hmm. things. But also like right when our body bodies are changing and I'm thinking about specifically like, uh, you know, beauty standards and things that are, you know, specifically like with, you know, folks who identify as female and those kinds of things. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm making a convoluted question, but if that makes any sense. No, no, um, that makes a ton of sense. I wish there, I wish I had a um, <laughs> super quick and easy <laughs> answer for that one. But I think, yeah, I think it's helpful that or I think it's helpful to understand that growing up and going through puberty to some degree is awkward and messy and confusing mm-hmm. and it can be embarrassing. Um, <laughs> and I think some amount of awkwardness or embarrassment about those body changes is par for the course. And so yeah. the ideal goal, I think, is to free ourselves as educators from body shame and a sense of isolation and hopefully help our kids have the tools to free themselves from that deep shame too. But I think we live in a society that's super steeped in body shame. So it's tough to think about. Um, and I think I think a couple of things that I already mentioned about the puberty conversation specifically is using anatomically accurate terms from a young age, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. is helpful in communicating um, or rather not communicating that there's something to hide or talk around about, you know, body parts. Everyone has them. Um, there are bodies and it's not something to be kept hidden or secret. I think another thing that can contribute to shame is feeling confused, like I don't know what's happening to my body mm-hmm. or isolated um, going through puberty and thinking I must be the only one who feels this way. Um, and so I think you know, I, there's so many things that, yeah, kids do feel such a sense of shame around and don't realize, oh, everyone is going through this around me. And so I think we can provide information and empower kids with knowledge ideally before puberty begins. That's a big one. And then I think to create, if this conversation's happening in the classroom, well, I actually, if it's happening at home too, um, make it clear to kids that you're here for them and that everyone has questions and it's okay to be curious. And in the classroom specifically, one, one strategy that I learned about from Planned Parenthood is that asking questions in class straight out can be really awkward. So teachers or educators can use an anonymous question box um, mm-hmm. and make everyone can they can give everyone a slip of paper and tell kids you know if you have a question write the question if you don't have a question write down your favorite ice cream flavor or something oh um, i love so that I think that's a great way to make sure that kids feel like even if they're a little yeah, nervous or embarrassed yeah. about their questions they can get them answered um and i also mm-hmm. think an educator in that context along the same vein can say, you know, I find lots of students are often curious about blank. You can also, along the same vein, if the question doesn't come up, you can say, you know, I find lots of students are often curious about blank Mm -hmm. um, and kind of make up the question yourself and then answer it. So I think those are a couple strategies for educators teaching about puberty in the classroom. I think in terms of body... I know. I agree with you about body positivity. It can be a complicated (laughs) phrase to promote as much as possible. Yeah, like body comfort, maybe. It's really helpful to use visual aids in the classroom that are Mm -hmm. diverse and talk about puberty Mm -hmm. as it's experienced by a range of bodies. Mm -hmm. One other thing that came up in the same Planned Parenthood training is that if you can't find visual aids that you like that depict bodies with the diversity of size, shape, gender, mm-hmm. race, physical ability, etc. You can draw them yourself. And to, I think this was specifically um, regarding anatomy of genitals and that a lot of the um, 
like the the printouts or whatever visual aids mm-hmm. that teachers use look really normative and similar to each other. And so um, this person who is leading the training that I attended said, you know, if you feel like it, draw your own. But I think diverse visual aids and being really explicit about the way that bodies, breasts, penises, testes, vulvas, bodies can look so many different ways and there's no one way to look. And then also everyone who goes through puberty gains weight and experiences body changes and a child's body is going to look different from a teen's body and that's going to look different from an adult's body. That's okay. If you're a parent or caregiver, it's also helpful to kind of really easier said than done, I'm sure, but Think about what kind of body negativity you might be modeling. Um, mm-hmm. And I think body positivity can be a loaded topic or a, a tall ask. But I think as much as possible, if we can model relationships with our bodies that we would like our children to embrace for their own, that can go a long way to eliminating yeah. shame or at least cutting down on it. Yeah. I, you know, I saw this post actually today on Facebook. And again, this this is sort of like taking it very sort of to one side and I'm not saying that everyone needs to do this but I thought it was interesting where basically this mother I need to link it uh, she's also a doula and does work like that but um, mm. basically she had this kind of unspoken rule like she didn't tell her kids this but anytime her kids asked to take a picture of her she would always say yes and you know and then she would comment on it and it'd be like oh like I look so beautiful in that picture or like like something that was honest but like you know oh like my eyes look really nice in that picture right but would never oh, wow. like specifically like never say negative things or like and for for her that also included like never saying no to a photo because mm-hmm. she didn't in, in in the sense that like saying no to a photo because she didn't like the way they were like oh my hair is a mess or I'm tired or I bags under yeah. my eyes right like some of these reasons that we you know I remember like growing up like my mom never always hated pictures of herself and like I like remember you know I remember that and um mm-hmm. and then you know it was who was I talking to I don't know if it was another guest or someone who was saying that their parent would always talk negatively about themselves and then people would be like you look so much like your mom Oh, man. Right. And That's then they'd so be painful. like, well, if my mom doesn't like the way that she looks and people think I look like her, then I must not like look good or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm, and so like yeah. kids are absolutely like absorbing all of that information and that the negativity that we say about ourselves. Um, and so I think it's important. Right. It's not like you can't dislike parts of your body like and that's why I don't I think I prefer the term body acceptance as opposed to like Mm -hmm. body positivity um and again it's like I don't know that there's a perfect phrase um but Mm -hmm. like I I don't feel like you need to be positive and love every part of your body like it's never gonna happen right um and I think it's okay to dislike parts of your body but you don't need to verbalize that in front of your children totally I don't think there's any need to do that yeah. And they're unfortunately they're gonna get it from other places. Yeah. If not at home. So I think as a parent or caregiver, teacher, um, it's really awesome if you can make that relationship a space yeah. that's free of those shaming ideas. And that's something I'm I'm lucky my mom did really well when I was growing up, I think. Um and my dad too. I think he probably, you know, it came up less because I think there's uh certain standards and yeah. stigmas that mm-hmm female-bodied people really experience, but I think my mom was super cognizant of not voicing negative or really that many comments about her own body, Um, and my body is pretty much shaped just like hers, so I feel like that was um, really lucky for me. Yeah. modeling that was important for me growing up. I I just remember like 
being so self-conscious about I'm Italian and like I was always pretty hairy. Like I remember like it wasn't even a question like we had a semi-formal and my mom was like, we need to wax your back. And I was like, okay, I guess that's what you do. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Or like uh, and then I had an allergic reaction to Nair and it was horrible. Oh I had to sleep on my stomach. So I was like burning. Oh my God, it was so bad. Uh, I was like, I'll just be hairy. This is fine. Oh, um, and then like I got made fun of because I had hairy arms and bushy eyebrows. And then mm-hmm. once I started identifying as male, people were like, oh, your eyebrows are so nice and full. I'm like, what? They're the same eyebrows, oh, wow. guys. But like it was the same things or like, like people – not like people would compliment my arm hair, but like no one, no one was like you're too hairy, right? Yeah, I remember like my leg hair growing in, and I, to be hairy. Yeah, I remember my leg hair growing in, and I was like, it's not hairy enough. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, like for me, oh, like wow. that was really affirming to like be like have body hair. And I was the kind of person who like before, like always, I shaved my legs, I shaved my arms, I shaved my armpits, like I shaved everything. And it was like the slow decline. I was like, maybe I can stop shaving this. Maybe I yeah. can stop shaving that. And then I just like stopped shaving altogether. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, it's super powerful. Uh, it was very yeah. liberating. Uh, I'm not paying any more money into that silly industry of razors. Literally the same exact things when I was identifying as, you know, as one gender. Like, people were like, oh, that's good if you're this gender. But like, mm, if you're that gender, you have to wax your eyebrows. I was just like, what? Huh? Yeah, that's such a powerful example <laughs> of where do those standards come from and why do we force ourselves to abide by them literally the same body we don't have enough time for that conversation because who can unpack that it's just yeah but it's just like a very (laughs) very interesting um like having sort of lived both of those experiences um yeah it was interesting to see sort of the things that i was like now that's okay or even now like I'm I weigh the most that I've ever weighed right now and nobody cares because I'm a man and it's okay for me to have like that dad bod (laughs) I don't know but like when I gained a little bit of weight you know when I started puberty my family freaked out because they're all Mm -hmm. overweight or uh like people of size and they um they all were all like oh no I was like I I'm just like gaining it's normal it's puberty Mm, guys man Um, yeah but now but now like no one everyone's like that's fine I'm just like, okay, I don't know what any of this means. Anyway, um, so before before we do our kind of wrap up stuff, my last question is just, you know, if you, I know obviously you've already given us a lot of advice, but if there was kind of one piece of advice you could give grownups about having these kinds of conversations with kids, what would it be? Yeah, so we might have already talked about this a little bit, but the one, when I was thinking about this question, um, the one thing that kind of stood out to me is the idea of, taking baby steps in this mm-hmm. process. Um, and there's a lot to cover here in the yeah. umbrella of puberty. <laughs> it might feel daunting. Where do I start? There's so much responsibility in having these conversations. I don't know if I'm ready. Um, and especially as we were saying, if you're thinking of it as this big talk that you have to deliver. Um, but I think it's important to remember you can start small and take your time. If a kid asks a question that you're not sure the answer to, you're uncomfortable answering, like we said, you don't have to answer right away. You could say, I'm not certain. Let's find out together or I'll get back to you. Or here's a book or resource that you can check out or that we can read together. And so as you said too, not a strategy to brush them off. You do have to follow up on it. But if you are an adult with discomfort or nerves or you feel squirmy about something that comes up, it's okay to take care of yourself and give yourself time. And the other thing on that note is I think using other resources for language, if you don't have it, is a great idea. So consult 
the internet, consult other resources, come back later with a response, use books, provide books or videos um, that you can share with kids or watch yourself or read yourself and then come back and share. Um, So I think the main takeaway for me is you don't need to have all the answers or provide all the information right away. If you're a teacher, parent, or caregiver, it's not going to be a one-and-done conversation, Um, but all you need to do is try to be present to the best of your ability and earnestly engaged. Um, And you're not going to know everything or have the perfect answer always ready Mm -hmm. to roll out. And that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. So I'm uh, curious if you have any any resources for us about this, whether they're books or websites, or it could be for adults or kids. Yeah, I do have a few. One resource that's been really helpful for me is this document called Principles of Gender Inclusive Puberty and Health Education that was released by Mm. Gender Spectrum. Um, and it's a guide mm-hmm. for gender inclusive puberty and health education endorsed by oh several national organizations, including Planned Parenthood. Um, and that's available if you just Google it. So that was awesome and really helpful for me. There's also a website and Instagram account called Sex Positive Families that's run by mm-hmm. a social worker named Melissa Pinter Carnegie. I'm not sure if that's, um, I may not have pronounced her name correctly, but awesome resource. She's also recently written a book that I haven't read. I'm sure Mm. that it's great because I've learned so much from her Instagram account. And I think she has a website and email newsletter as well. Really helpful resource for talking about sexuality and bodies with little ones. It's awesome. The Instagram account is so, so cool. The Planned Parenthood website has a learn section. Um, The title is just learn. And there's a section for educators and a section for parents that can be, I think, really helpful in terms of factual scientific information to brush up on before having these combos. And then the one other resource that I wanted to plug is a little bit more sex ed than puberty specific, but mm-hmm. it's a website called Scarletine run by this woman named Heather Corena. And it's a really helpful, inclusive and progressive sex ed website for teens. It has some helpful info on puberty for sure. Also just fantastic resource about sex and sexuality mm-hmm. and the woman who started the website is also the author of a fantastic book on sex for teens. So I'm not sure that that book directly addresses puberty, but for the older, for mm-hmm. older kids, it's an absolutely fantastic resource. Yeah. I think almost everybody who's been on with a related topic to like sex stuff has mentioned Scarletine. <laughs> so must <laughs> be good. Not, su- not surprising to me because it is really so awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, you as well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, anytime. I might have to have you back to talk about art stuff. Who knows? I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, stay rad. I'm Tefra Jemian, the producer and host of the Yeah Podcast, a young adult lit review podcast focusing on amplifying the diverse voices in YA literature. Join us as we dig into the world of young adult books, reviewing new releases, revisiting old classics, and exploring what YA lit can teach us at any age. Discover the world of YA Lit through exclusive author interviews, book reviews, genre smackdowns, and more. The Yeah Podcast, available through the Upgrade Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is our book club and you're invited. Yeah!
Dungeons, Dragons, Canada, the Multiverse Theory, Corgis, Queer Representation, Reconciliation, Angels, Demons, Squirrels, Moose, Moose and Squirrels, Sorcerers, Dinosaurs, Forests, Giants, Rogues, Warlocks, Plains, Sewers, Lavender, Natural Toonie, a Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast, right here on the Upford Network. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.